Well, welcome to season six of episode two of In the Growth Space. I'm your host, David McLennan, and I'm really, really glad that you're here today. You know, this podcast is all about exploring and examining growth from a number of different perspectives. And I believe that life is all about learning and expanding and exploring new experiences. So that's why I have conversations with people who are on that journey of growth. And many of them are just like you and me. And they may be further along the road or have learned something that I find new and interesting that I just want to share with you. And they may be business leaders or they may be in some other arena of growth. But in every episode, I attempt to bring ideas on what it takes to grow and ways to grow either through my story or through the, st- other st- the stories of others who have grown. So if you're a new listener, I just want to say welcome Thank you for joining the community. I know that we've been getting some new folks listening, and I'm really very grateful that our message of growth is reaching more leaders. You know, hearing other leaders' stories can help us when we need the encouragement the most. And so often when we hear what others have struggled with or what they've overcome, it helps give us the energy to keep moving forward and doing the hard things. So whether you're a leader of a team, a business owner, or a high achiever, you'll get something that you can take away and help you along your own growth journey today. Now I've said this before, but if you truly want to grow, it means busting through the terror barrier and feeling the discomfort of it while you act anyway. And it's so good when we can break through those barriers. And today, our guest is going to give us some really good questions to think about no matter where you are on your growth journey. You'll be able to tell that she's had me thinking quite a bit about some evocative questions. Now, if you're a business owner and you're thinking of transitioning at some point, whether that means exiting the business by selling it or handing it off to the next generation of leaders, this is going to be an impactful conversation for you. And whether you want to retire in the near future or in the distant future, I believe that if you'll wrestle with the questions that Denise Logan poses today, you're going to be farther along and you're going to be ready for that transition. Now, let me just tell you a little bit more about Denise Logan before we get started. So Denise has a background as a lawyer, and she's also been a mental health professional and a business owner. Denise shares her experiences so that business owners and their advisors can navigate the transition out of their business with ease and, most importantly, without regrets. She's a frequent communicator on family business, business succession, navigating tough transitions, leaving a lasting legacy, restoring meaning to work, giving yourself permission to care and empathize, as well as business development and networking with a purpose. Now, she's written a book called The Seller's Journey, and years ago, Denise owned a a successful law firm, and you'll hear her share about the time when it came for her to let her business go, and when the trucks finally pulled away with all of her stuff. That's a powerful conversation, so let's go ahead and get into that conversation with Denise Logan right now. Well, hey, Denise, I am so glad to have you on the podcast. Welcome to In the Growth Space. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me, David. Oh, gosh, it's my pleasure. I've been really uh, looking forward to uh, today's conversation after we met and uh, had a chance to just to get to know each other. And, 
You know, you you talk on a topic that I think is really important, especially in the season that we live in right now. There's so many uh, people in in my generation, the the baby boomer generation, that have built businesses over the period of of you know probably forty, maybe even fifty years, and now they're thinking about or or beginning to transition out of that business and and hand it off to the next generation. And, and I, I'd love just to kind of talk a little bit about that transition, but before we kind of go there, maybe let's tell the listeners, how did you get into this space in the first place? Oh, that's such an interesting journey. I always think, you know, in my early life, I was a mental health professional mm-hmm. and then I became a lawyer. And wouldn't you think that I would have been able to use that good mental health skill <laughs> to keep myself from becoming a lawyer? I was going to say, that's got a, quite a transition right there. I'm sure there's a story in that even. <laughs> <laughs> and I built a firm in Washington, D.C. And when we reached a, a pretty good size, I realized I was burned out and it was time for me to leave. Yeah. I merged my firm, got rid of my house and bought a motorhome. And oh, wow. I took off. That's a whole other conversation that we could have over a beverage. Bet, really. yeah. <laughs> you know, for me, I thought it would be six months, clear my head. And it turned into several years where I traveled all over North and Central America in a motorhome with two cool. little dogs and a car I towed behind. That's cool. very fun. Yeah. But I came off the road and I joined a friend's business who was preparing it for sale. Hmm. And over the next 10 years, we took that business to the market three times, and he was unable to let go. Mm. And I thought, isn't this interesting? You could be me and wait too long and be ready to give it away. Or you could be him and go too early and not be able to pull the trigger. Mm. And so I left and did a research study about why owners get stuck. Mm. What happens that causes that friction? And then over the last 12 years, I've worked one-on-one with owners and their advisors to help them navigate that emotional obstacle, not the transactional part, because Mm -hmm. the transaction, as important as it is, this is the single largest transition in a professional adult's life. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote a book about it, and I speak and write about the psychology of owners and how to help them let go also about how work, money, and meaning comes together to create a greater legacy from our Mm. life than Mm. when we focus on only one part of that. Wow. Wow. There's so much in in that. I, I think that what fascinates me, I think the most is just that psychology, the human psychology of the transition and the letting go. And where do you see where do you see most owners getting like like what stuck what's what's the what's the maybe the first thing that they get stuck on oh. so you know the word retirement has a lot of baggage yeah. around it and i was working with a client recently who said well i'm not just going to sit around and do nothing right. all day I was like, oh, poor baby, who told you that's what it would be like? But, you know, for many of us watching our parents or grandparents retire, for them, it was that. And for us, um, playing golf 
and waiting for Wheel of Fortune to come on (laughs) will not feel like a satisfying retirement. And so he and I were talking about what if we think about it as rewiring, not Mm. retiring. Oh, I love that. And who am I on the other side of this business? For many of our owners, their business has become their identity. There's no joke why we refer to it as our baby. Right, right. Uh, No doubt. And we have language for that in other parts of our life, right? When the last child leaves home, what do we call that? Yeah, the empty nest. (laughs) Right? And, And because we know that in our personal lives and we have a framework for it, and often we're going through that experience of empty nesting with other people who are experiencing it at the same time. Your children's uh, friends' parents are also going through it or neighbors or other family members can experience it. For a business owner, the business is often the last child that leaves home. Yeah, wow, I never thought about that that way. That's, <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. And, and especially for those business owners who have founded the business it, it, it really, like you said earlier, it does become their identity. It's who they are. So I guess, how do you, how do you navigate some of those kinds of conversations? Because you, you clearly separated the, the, the transaction from the transition. And I think that that's an important distinction. So if we have uh, business owners and founders who are, are listening, you know, what's the best, best thing for them to think about? And how do you navigate that? I might put it in the context of a story, um, because I think often we can hear ourselves in the tale of someone else. So, and I'll give you a couple of different examples. And I'll always say to listeners, don't get weirded out about the dollar amount of the transaction you're going to hear about or the industry sector. Think about how this might apply to you. So this first story is about, um, it was an $85 million business. Eight weeks before the closing, the owner suddenly announced that he would not take a penny less than nine times EBITDA. (laughs) Never mind that he already had a deal at 6.2 times. And so the investment banker called me and said, I think my client's gone crazy. I'm like, yeah, that sounds (laughs) like it. Let's see if we can figure out what scared him. Mm. So his original plan was to sell the business buy a sailboat, and sail around the globe. You know, you can get a pretty good boat for $85 million. So <laughs> no <it> kidding. <laughs> probably was not about the money. Right. What I and what I learned when I got involved there was two weeks before he asked for this unicorn of more money, his wife had said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I do not want to be stuck on a boat with you far away from my grandchildren. That is not happening. Oh, yeah. And can we agree, David? He is not coming back to tell the deal team the deal is off because my wife won't let me do what I want to do. He won't, yeah, she won't sail with me. (laughs) And so he asked for more money, which they couldn't produce. And so that was his attempt to try to pull out of something because he didn't know how to navigate this experience. Mm Mm-hmm. So what I did was some one-on-one work with husband and wife separately and came back to a solution together mm-hmm. where he would buy the sailboat and sail. And every six weeks, she would take one grandchild 
fly to where he was. They'd do two <laughs> weeks on land building memories with the child. She would fly home and he would sail on. Boom. Nice. Nice. The deal was back on track, closed on time at its original asking price because it was not about the money. Mm. What they were experiencing as a couple is what we would call relational grief. Mm. So if you think about it, we start a business or we each have our life, right? Maybe, and this can apply in multi-dimensional couples. So we're going to sure. say husband and wife, but no one lose their mind about yeah, that framing. Right, sure, sure. So the husband is running the business, the wife is running the home, and all of a sudden they've had a vision of what the future would be like. And as they get close to the end of that that particular business, they realize our vision is not the same. Oh, yeah, sure. What you want is not what I want. And if the only solution is that I have to travel with you, <laughs> or maybe the spouse doesn't want to travel and I'm stuck at home with you. You know, COVID yeah. gave us a great look into that. Sure. Many of us were stuck at home and mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, if this is what retirement looks like, I don't want it. I don't want any part. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so those are some experiences. And for a couple, this particular couple, just to mm. use them as an example, um, it would be very easy for one or both of them to pull the business in between them again, instead mm -hmm. of dealing with the fact that what we want is not the same. Yeah. So that's one example. Yeah, you know, and it sounds like in that in that story, um, you also have to become as as the transition expert, and um, you have to be almost like a marriage counselor in some ways, right? You have to at least be able to pull out the or discover what's what's peel back the onion, what's what's down below the the, the surface. And some of that, I think, is. I work a lot with advisors to help yeah. them develop those skills because sure. here's what often happens. Either the financial advisor or the investment banker or the lawyer will say, so what's your plan when you mm. sell the business? What are you going to do? And we hear um, golf and travel. Yeah. Friends, that is not a plan. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But often the advisor hasn't done this work for themselves. Mm -hmm. to know what is their future look like? What are all of these emotional issues for them? And so instead mm -hmm. they hear, oh, good, you have a solution. Check that off the box. Let me hop onto the transaction. Yeah. And they forget this is a giant transition for yeah. a business owner. And so there are some other skills that we can use as advisors or even as owners to prepare ourselves in mm -hmm. advance. And sometimes I'll hear an owner say, well, I'm not going to retire. I'll just die at my desk. Okay. <laughs> That's not a plan. Right. Number one. Right. And number two, all of the research shows that owners typically end up leaving their business five years earlier than they plan. Oh, really? Okay. So we have this idea in our mind that we will be in control that we will get to know the day we leave, that somehow yeah. it will become magically clear for us. But mm. a lot of the reasons why people end up leaving earlier than they thought are things like their own health mm -hmm. or the health of a family member sure. or a major change in the market yeah. <laughs> or uh -huh. a 
right? All of those things that are outside of our control. So when we predict, Uh, oh, I'm going to work until X period of time and I'll be perfectly healthy (laughs) and my business will be healthy and I'll get to make that choice. That's not actually what happens for most owners. Wow, that's fascinating. And I I guess to me, what it sounds like, excuse me, is um, that there are a lot of business owners that really need to do two things. Number one, they need to have a vision for what that next season of life is going to look like for them, have some honest discussions with their spouse, their significant other. Um, and, and and then they also need to have a dose of realism too, I guess, and 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 understand that things don't always go to, to plan. Well, do any of us know someone who died before the life expectancy chart Reveal. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So we are not immune from that. And I'll often, when I tell that sailboat story, someone inevitably says, well, like, why didn't the spouse say she didn't want to do that? Okay. David, have you been married a long time? <laughs> I've been married for 33 years. So yeah. <laughs> okay. And you're probably still married because you and your spouse don't start an argument about everything that comes up. <laughs> Right. There are hills to die on and then there are hills to not die on. (laughs) And your spouse is probably thinking, yeah, that might never even happen. So I don't need to have that argument right now. But as they got very close to the exit, Mm. suddenly she realized, oh, no, this is going to happen. Yeah, It's peak now Mm -hmm. or not. And so that's an example as well when we talk about getting on the same page as Mm -hmm. your spouse, like knowing what that really is, because we all develop coping mechanisms in our relationships where we're like, yeah, yeah, sure. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. And then push comes to shove and we're like, no, that's not a good idea. But here's another example. So I often say to owners, what does work provide for you other Mm. than money and financial security? Mm. So let me say that again. What does work provide for you other than money and financial security? And we should be able to get 12 to 15 distinct answers to that question. Wow. Some of your listeners are like, well, what else is there? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure (laughs) that, yeah, that coaching question is getting them, you know, thinking right now. So that's good. I love it. And the reason is because these needs that are getting met by work do not go away just because you get a big sack of cash. So if you and I just played a little bit about that to prompt listeners to think, what are some of the things that you get from work other than just money and financial security, David? What, What do you get? Yeah. So, um, fulfillment. I mean, one, one is fulfillment. I mean, second would be a sense of purpose. Um, um, great question. So what else? Fulfillment, sense of purpose, um, a, a sense of, of helping others as well. Right. And we can even come down to some really basic ones that, yeah. that are starting points like structure. Yeah, yeah. Work provides structure to our day and to our week. It's a mm. place to go. Yeah. Right during COVID, weren't you thinking, when am I going to get out of this house? Yeah, yeah. And so was your spouse. 
Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when are you going to get out of that? He was thinking, when is David getting to get out of this? <laughs> right. So right. it's a place yeah. to go. It's structure. Yeah. It's intellectual stimulation. Mm. Yeah. It's friendship. For right. many of our owners, their employees and customers and vendors are their friends. Mm. Yeah. But then we start to get to some of the deeper ones, like the thrill of the hunt. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. You're chasing that deal or mm -hmm. whatever the thing is that's related to your industry. Mm -hmm. But even deeper, things like power. Yeah. yeah. At work, you say you want something done and it pretty much gets done. Right. At home, that might not be the case. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so when we start to really drop into what are all of the various things, that work mm. is meeting. Those are real needs. Yeah. And how will those needs get met outside of work? Boy, that, that, that's a fascinating, I mean, that's a fascinating subject right there because I think that, I mean, even as you pose the question to me, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know that I've ever thought about that before. I really haven't. And I thought, I mean, I, I've thought that I've thought about it, but, but when you really sit down and, and contemplate the, the question, I wouldn't have ever thought about, I guess, the structure and, and having a structure and, and the, 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 the chase of the deal, um, and the, the support of the, uh, the, the employees, um, all of those things are, are really, really good to think about. Hmm. And it's worth writing them down, right? There's what we yeah. do when we think about them in our head. And there's something yeah. else about writing the list of 15 things yeah. and then starting to line them up with, let's just say friendship is one that we're going to use. Yeah. Who are my Saturday friends? <laughs> yeah. Because we have our work friends right. and then who are our Saturday friends? And if the answer is, I don't have any Saturday friends, we don't wait until someone retires and then try to build a friendship network for them. Yeah, right. it, it's not too late, but it's a lot harder. So what if we begin earlier saying three to five years before the exit? We would never just bring a business to the market without preparing all of those things that the business needs to be successful for their transition. We prepare an owner to also be successful for this transition, because otherwise what happens is we dump them out and they will say, it feels like a black hole. Mm, yeah. It doesn't have to be a black hole, but I think strong advisors help their clients, not just to harvest the wealth from mm. their business, but to also prepare for what life will be like. Mm -hmm. For many of our owners, they have been so focused on their business that friendship may have fallen by the wayside, or sure. where will I get my sense of power? Because mm -hmm. I can tell you, coming home and deciding that you're going to tell your spouse the way they're organizing the pantry is not efficient, <laughs> is going to go badly. It's very poorly, very, very poorly. Absolutely. And often uh, the spouse good. can also be feeling that sense of anxiety. Mm -hmm. I know years ago, one of my college roommate's husband retired. Um, 
the first couple of days, cool, fun. Yeah. And then he's in the kitchen and he says, so what are we going to have for lunch today? And she kind of put her hands on her hips and was like, well, let me just tell you how this is going to go down because I'm going to have half an apple and a yogurt like I've had for years, years and yeah. you're going to have lunch somewhere not in the kitchen today. <laughs> That's great. I love that. <laughs> that can build anxiety for a spouse as sure. well as they yeah. start to approach that time. And by the way, lots of people do this successfully, but I right. think it, it becomes successful when there's more planning and more thoughtfulness about yeah. it. Well, so, and, and yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's just a, a thought that came to me. So I, I, I work with a lot of emerging leaders as well. And, and I think that this is, there's, a, there's a lesson in this for the emerging leaders and, and the, the millennial um, business owners as well, not just the, the baby boomers in my generation, because in, in a lot of ways, this is a lesson for them to be thinking about and preparing. And as you were talking about Saturday friends, I thought to myself, well, why not begin to start building those right now and putting, you know, boundaries around your, your work time and creating the space to be able to have those friendships and build those friendships now. And then, and even be thinking about what does work provide for me? What is it that, that, other than you know money and uh, financial security, so I think that there's a really powerful lesson here for a, a wide range of, of of leaders and and really people in general that are in their working working years. Right. We begin with the end in mind, isn't that Stephen Covey's principle? Stephen Covey, yeah, right. Exactly. We would not begin a business without thinking. Wait, what is the purpose of this business? Yeah. What, what do I want eventually from the business? The same is true for the mm -hmm. leader. And, you know, an example of this, and this can happen with young, young owners or older owners, right? We often think that transition and exit only happens for baby boomers. And yeah. that's not true. That's true. I was working with the founder of a software company, 36 years old. Mm. He was set to net $16 million on the other side of his sale. That's a pretty good chunk of change for a yeah. man at his place in life. And he reached this point where he was like, who am I going to hang out with? <laughs> All my buddies have jobs. And so he was out shooting pool with his best friend. And he made that comment. And his friend said, boo-hoo, dude. I wish I had your sad little $16 million problem. Right. But you know, David, the problem didn't go away. It just mm. went underground because now mm. he also felt shame oh, about wow. this feeling that he had. Sure. And I think oftentimes we only talk to business owners about the economics. Mm -hmm. So, mm. you know, the transactional professionals will be talking about the deal and the money, and it would be so easy for an owner to make this comment and get rebuffed by one mm -hmm. of the transactional professionals. We're like, dude, mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. going to get plenty of money. You'll figure it out. But that's not a fair experience to have with someone who is going through a transition. We Let's bring this back to our children again, because I think it's a good way your listeners, many of them are parents. You don't right. wait until your child turns 18. And then on that morning say, so what are you going to do with yourself? 
Yeah, right. You prepare them. You're talking about it. You know these moments of transition Mm. that they are experiencing when they're leaving middle school Mm -hmm. and going to high school and they feel sad about leaving behind their favorite coach. Yeah, yeah. We didn't just say, well, get over it. Like, how dumb is that? And <laughs> right. yet, for our owners, and this was true for me when I exited my business, as much as I was thrilled to have made that transition, mm. there were also plenty of days for quite a longer time than I would have expected, where I'd be on the patio drinking tea and reading a book, and all of a sudden, something about my business would pop into my head. And I'd think, oh, I have to, oh, that's right. There isn't someone for me to tell that. To. I can't tell that. Yeah, sure. The people around me, I think, um, also struggled a little bit with, wait, you're sad? You got what you wanted. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I got what I wanted. But oh, no, I got what I wanted. Yeah. Both things were true. And yeah. even an example for me on the very last day, um, you know, the, the acquirer had shown up and they had all their trucks loaded with the furniture. And back then there were real file cabinets. Yeah. Cal- <laughs> yeah real, real file cabinets. Yeah. File cabinets and furniture and all of the equipment had gone. And the last truck was about to pull away from the building and I wanted to see it. Yeah. Right. So I leaned toward the window to catch a sight, catch a glimpse of that truck. And I hit my head on the window. And all of a sudden, they were, like I was crying, and I thought I didn't hit my head that hard. And then I realized, oh, I'm not crying about having hit my head. Mm-hmm. This is a lifetime of my work. Uh, yeah, and it's yeah. turning the corner without. Right, right. And so I was getting, I was standing in the empty office space. Yeah, where all of my effort and life had been. And mm-hmm. I was thrilled that I had made a transition, but I had also made a transition and I was not yet fully across the river right. to the other side. It's almost like a, it's, it's one of those and, and kind of a situations. Yes. And, and, and you, yeah, you made the transition, but, or you made the transition transaction, but the transition was still kind of ahead of you too. Um, oh, that's really fascinating. You know, and it actually gets me thinking too about, this this word that a lot of people talk about, especially in this phase of our of our lives, is legacy. And and we start to think about that, I guess, a little bit. And 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 there probably are not a lot of business owners that maybe fully wrap their head around that. What do you see as a you know something that 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 people should think about when they think about creating their legacy or you know, how their legacy will, will play out in, in this transition. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about this. Yeah, <laughs> Because yeah. there are a couple of things, right? Who am I if I am no longer the owner of this business? Mm-hmm. Is a really important question. And everywhere we go, one of the first questions we are asked is, what do you do? Yeah, right. Whether that is relevant or not, I was at Mm -hmm. the hairdresser a while ago and, you know, the woman six feet away in her chair, getting her hair blow dried says, so what do you do? And I was like, what? Why is that even relevant Uh right now? So I have a way that I answer that question and I'm going to, I'm a little 
funny about it, but when someone asks me, what do you do? I say, about what? That's and good. inevitably the person's like, it change, it shifts the energy a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And they'll say, well, like, what do you do for work? Wait, you want to know how I earn my money? Yeah, yeah. And then they will often say, well, I just want to, like, I want to know how to relate to you. Mm-hmm. So we do not mm-hmm. only relate to each other based on the economics of That's our awesome. life. And I no longer ask that question, what do you do? And there's a reason for it. I actually believe that question is an economic pegging question. Interesting. Am I mm-hmm. above you or am I below you? Based on your answer, should I be kissing up to you right now, or should you be kissing up to me? Wow. I have never thought about it that way. That is really, really fascinating. And what other question could you ask when meeting someone new that would allow you an opportunity to relate to them? Oh, I would think... um... What about, what about, um, what are some of your interests or what are you, what are you passionate about? What's your favorite book? Yeah. Right. What is the best meal you've ever had? There are a million questions other than what do you do? And so what I often suggest when I'm talking to an owner and I just practice this myself because I think it's fascinating to yeah. see her own discomfort. What if you began to answer that question? What do you do when someone asks you and you answer it with something other than how you make your money? Yeah, that's good. Practice it. What does that provide for you? What are you answering? Maybe Mm. I I did this with a venture capitalist years ago. So fun. He was preparing to exit his business and we were working on this, you know, because there's a certain amount of cash day. If you answer, I'm a venture, I'm a VC investor. Yeah. Right. Right. People respond to you differently than if you say you're the landscaper. Right. You know, is that right? Is that fair? Yes or no. But that is some of what happens. And so he started learning to play guitar because when the last, uh, when their last daughter left, they discovered a guitar in the closet that he had bought her because she desperately wanted to learn guitar, but obviously never used, right? <laughs> never did, yeah. And so he started taking guitar lessons, and I suggested to him that that was the answer that he could say, "I'm a guitar player." Now, you know, the curious thing that would happen: he'd be on a plane, and he would answer with that. And now the person beside him wants to know, like, are you famous? Yeah. Right. Are you, are you part of the band? Right? Yeah. Right. What yeah. band are you? But there's a yeah. whole other conversation that happens. Mm-hmm. And getting our self-esteem met from our title. Yeah. Yeah. And our work. It's a really great exercise to begin long so before good. you're exiting because yeah. it shifts the narrative around. Absolutely. I, I, Denise, that that is so good. That is so powerful. I, I I am just still like that is such a good question and and a good um, thing to for for all of our leaders who are who are watching or listening to the podcast right now to really seriously contemplate because um, we are not our work. 
we, you know, we, we take, we, one of our, one of the, one of the exercises I, I do with my emerging leaders in particular is I have them create their I am statements, meaning whatever comes after the words I am is it is defining. And, and so I'm, I'm actually thinking through that so that in this context, so that we begin to think through what our, what our work does provide for us, but not necessarily how it defines us. So, um, boy, and this that's is really just around your exit, right? There are just so right. many deeper ways. Um, you know, one of the things I did when, and this is a little sidetrack, but yeah, if, you, if you don't want to talk about this, you can always cut it off. No, but no, it's fun I love it. I me. love it. One of yeah. the things I did when I was on my motorhome trip, um, you know, campgrounds are not generally in the most urban setting. Right, right. So I was in my motorhome, and one morning I went for a run with my dogs. And on the left side of the road was a dairy farm, and the right side of the road was a chicken farm. And I'm running along with the dogs and I think, I don't really know anything about farming. So I tied my dogs up to the post and I went and found the farmer on the dairy farm because I'm a little afraid of chickens. <laughs> yeah, just a little, too, yeah. I don't know what I think about chickens. <laughs> yeah. Cows seem more approachable. To me. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And I said to the farmer, look, I don't know anything about farming, and but I'd like to. Mm -hmm. If I promise to come every day for a week and do whatever you need done and you don't have to pay me, are you game? And he kind of stroked his chin and looked me up and down for your listeners who aren't seeing us. And maybe even on Zoom, you might not know, but I'm five foot two. So I don't really look like I'm a burly. <laughs> yeah, ready to. He stroked yeah, his chin take and on a cow. Like, yep, wear boots. <laughs> and so I showed up on the farm every Love day it. for a week. The first day he had me bottle feed newborn calves. Oh, of course I was coming back the next day. Of Come course. on. Yeah, of course. Day two, I worked the milking machine. Day three, I did bookkeeping. Day four, I drove a big tractor full of manure, which I thought being a lawyer had fully prepared <laughs> me for that skill set. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and by the end of the week, I could not believe that I could go to the grocery store and buy milk for a dollar forty-nine mm. or whatever it was at that time. It's not that I didn't know where milk came from. But I had seen only a very narrow slice of what is involved in making milk happen. Mm. And it started to change the way I thought about work in the world mm. and the meaningfulness mm -hmm. of work. Mm -hmm. Because I had come, well, I grew up in a very blue collar family. I had a job as a lawyer where I was paid for using my brain and paid disproportionately compared to the farmer who was producing sure. the milk. And I started to be able to look around me and say, someone made this desk mm. and someone harvested the wood for this mm -hmm. desk and someone trucked it. And it started to help me look at all of the reasons why being identified with our work is foolish. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. all work matters yeah. and not what we've been trained to think, which is some work matters more than other work. Elevated, yeah. And now here's a little, here's a brain twister I'm going to toss in. I love it. And by the way, one week out of every month for the next several years, I did that same thing where I would show up at pancake supper or, a, you know, at the firehouse or a chamber of commerce meeting. And whoever had the most interesting job, I'd be, David, 
Can I come to work with you for a week? That's cool. That's cool. I rode a lobster boat in Nova Scotia. I worked in a paint factory. Oh my gosh. Things. But here's my brain twister for you. If who I am is what I do and I no longer do, do I not exist? Wow. Because at some point, Mm. we will not do what we used to do. Mm -hmm. That may be, you know, we will all leave our work voluntarily or involuntarily. And if we have not done the work of individuating from our job and our title, we are left bereft. Mm. Wow. That is really powerful. That is a powerful question, Denise. I, I'm, I, I wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm at a loss for words, but, but what a thing to, to think into. Oh my God. It comes back to the question. You know, I know this was kind of a winding answer to your question about oh, legacy, but legacy is more than just a sack of cash or our name on a building. Mm-hmm. And what yes. we're leaving behind us are those subtle experiences that Mm. we've had. I mean, for me, there is a, there's an experience that happened in my life that is a moment of someone else's legacy that I'm not even sure that person knew Mm. the house I grew up in. Neither of my parents had graduated from high school. So college was not on the radar screen. That was not something someone was talking to me about. Mm. I had my eye on that prize, but my parents did not. So when the time came for me to go to college, they were like, you want to go to college? (laughs) And I often thought, did we not have dinner together? Did you think I was going to work at Kroger? Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) That really wasn't my plan. And so Uh, there wasn't money for me to go to college. And mm -hmm. I do not believe the parents owe that to their children, but I had worked, uh, you know, several jobs and saved money and got a scholarship, but I was $2,500 short. Mm. And so I went to the local bank and tried to get a student loan. And I was 16. So I had a little early trajectory that was going yeah, on. Sure. I bring the student loan papers home. And my dad says, why would I sign that? What if you don't pay it back? Again, I was a little bit like, have we yeah. not met yeah. before? You don't what, know me, do you? Yeah. About? Right, a separate <laughs> conversation. But yeah. I went back to the bank and only probably because I was 16 and didn't know any better. And that banker made an unsecured $2,500 student loan. That says how long ago it is that $2,500 could get me, you know, over the hump. But he made an unsecured $2,500 student loan to a 16-year-old girl. Mm. That changed my life. Because otherwise, I would not have been able to go. I'm sure there would have been, you know, maybe I would have worked another year or whatever. But it took me years before I realized how big that was. Mm -hmm. And that that clearly was not bank policy. Sure. He stepped out for some reason to do something for me. And when I went back to ask him why he did that, like what he saw that made him willing to do that, he had already passed away. Oh, wow. Yeah. There are moments in every one of our lives where we are doing something 
that impacts another person's life. Positively or negatively, we are always making our legacy. Mm. And what would it mean if instead of thinking about our business or our money as our legacy, we dropped in deeper Mm. into a bigger view Mm. of legacy? And sometimes, you know, my, my mental health training was in two tracks work and financial disorders. So people who are addicted to work and money. Okay. Yeah. And the other is thanatology, which is the study of death and dying. Oh, wow. Interesting. At the time, I probably couldn't have explained why I chose those two tracks. But from this place in my life at 58, it is clear to me because when we are afraid of addressing our mortality, mm. we often turn to money and work as certainty. If mm. only I have enough money. Mm. then I can stay away from this uncertainty. And so I believe that as we talk about legacy, it is something much greater than just the economics of it. Gosh, this is so powerful, Denise. I, I, I love, thank you for sharing that because I love the story of the banker giving you that unsecured loan because I think it really demonstrates something that I will often talk to, especially emerging leaders about, and that is that we, we talk a lot about, um, you know, the inner critic and, and imposter syndrome. And, and, and so often there are leaders in organizations that will believe in you, even when you don't believe in yourself. And I think that that borrowed belief, borrowing that belief of someone else is, and can be super powerful and to me that your story demonstrated that for you that that banker believed in you and believed in your future probably saw something in you that maybe you didn't see at 16 Mm -hmm. that really changed your life and i think that that can make all the difference and 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 i also i really appreciate the this conversation around taking it deeper than just you know, power and money that it, when we talk about legacy, let's take a look at it from a bigger perspective and who are we impacting, not what are we doing? As you said, uh, this is amazing. Oh. It is so much. Can I tell another silly story? Absolutely. I'd love to. So, yeah. I'd love to hear it. Oh, those moments that we don't know that we are impacting someone's life and can mm-hmm. we be more conscious? So I'm a professional speaker. I speak at a about 70 conferences a year on these topics. So I'm on stage at this pretty big event and I love it when the audience is engaged and like they're making eye contact. But there was a woman in this one audience who was making what I will call uncomfortable eye contact. (laughs) Lasers, (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, it was starting to unnerve me a little bit on stage and everywhere I looked, she was like, definitely laser beam on me. So at the, at the book signing afterwards and at the cocktail party out of the, my peripheral vision, everywhere I saw this woman, she was like there and I was kind of a little creeped out. (laughs) And then she makes a beeline and I'm like, Oh, she's coming right toward me. And she Uh gets, you know, also uncomfortably close (laughs) and then says, you don't remember me, do you? Oh, 
your audience right now is like and you're their like, own creeps. Yeah, like, oh my goodness, wait a second. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't. I'm sure we do know each other and I'm sorry I've forgotten. Can you remind me of where we know each other? And she said, I was a paralegal at a law firm that you spoke at. Mm. And you caught me in the file room afterwards and told me that you saw that I should do more. Mm. And I used that as my inspiration the entire time I was going through law school. It kept me motivated because I knew you saw that. And then she told Mm. me she was now a lawyer and she was doing her thing. And I thought- Thank God that wasn't the day where I was like, you are dumb as a rock. <laughs> right. Why are you even here? Yeah. You can't file or what? Uh, Those passing yeah. careless things that we do mm-hmm. that we don't always realize are yeah. having an impact. And yeah. so this, fortunately, this was one of those times where <laughs> Shining there was moments. good. <laughs> yeah. Because gosh, you know, considering she was like, you don't remember me, do you? That could have gone sideways. Yeah. Wow. But Amazing. one of the things that I that I do is called the legacy dinner. And it is a facilitated dinner conversation for mm. leaders and for advisors to mm. help them drop more deeply into what legacy is beyond those things that we stay so shallow with. <laughs> and it's such a transformative experience that really brings a small group together in a way that changes the way they think about legacy. And so often what I find is that we have these conversations like you and I are having now, Mm -hmm. and then we go off into our lives and we forget. And so having a group, whether it's a peer group or others who you've had an experience like that dinner with, help you to touch back to Oh, I'm not a weirdo thinking about this by myself. It yeah. matters. Mm-hmm. It really matters what we think about, how work, money, and meaning weaves together into a greater legacy instead of just one narrow slice. Uh, Denise, this is so powerful. And I am so glad that we got connected and we're having this conversation today because I, I think it's just, it's empower, it's it's powerful. And it's really, really important. Before before we wrap up here today, I, I want to make sure that people know how to get a hold of you. What's the best way for people who are listening and going, "Wow, uh, I need a speaker for you know my event," or uh, "I want to I want to talk about transitioning out of my business"? How do they get a hold of you? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks so much, David. My website is deniselogan.com. Nice and easy. Nothing too challenging. And um, I speak and write on this topic. And I have a long running blog column that's on my website that has some topics that might be interesting, like is dying at your desk noble or tragic? (laughs) You might guess how I come down on that question. (laughs) But really being able to help leaders and their advisors think differently about how Mm. to prepare for and go through this transition. And I think it applies for all of us in any part of our work. Yeah, it really does. And I think that one of the important things that I want our listeners to catch is is that it's not just for our leaders, but it's for all of our advisors. And I know that you work with advisors as well. And I think that that's really important because I think the advisors in 
the world of transition and transaction need to be aware of all of this aspect of 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 what they're doing and and be more aware of the depth and the psychology of of the human aspect of of what they're doing and so i would i would encourage them if you're listening and you fall into that category i want you to get in touch with denise and 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 check check out her website um the 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 legacy dinner is is an amazing concept she and i had a conversation uh before about that and i think it's just an amazing amazing concept so definitely reach out to denise denise um is there is there anything that you want to just uh finish up with maybe wrap a bow on our conversation if there's something that you'd like to share just to, to kind of wrap us up i'd love for you to do that yeah when choosing an advisor let's think about this transactional prowess is the bare minimum that is not a distinguishing characteristic between whether you should hire this advisor or that advisor. You should expect that your advisor will be trans transactionally proficient. Mm. But the question that I would ask any advisor that you are about to work with is, what is your plan to exit? Mm. What is your legacy? How have you taken the steps to prepare to leave your business. Because honestly, if you are having someone who is helping you with your leadership or with your transition, why would you choose someone who hasn't already been thoughtful about this? Because that will be the difference between whether or not they can accompany you on this journey in a way that is skillful or whether this is someone who is strictly focused on the transaction. And you deserve that because mm -hmm. landing on the other side, I refer to clients as what's nexters. <laughs> That's great. I love it. <laughs> landing yeah. on the other side of this transition fully intact instead of brutalized and, you know, battered. And you want to land safely on the other side, fully engaged in the next chapter of your life. You deserve that. Yeah, I agree, Denise. Wow, this is so good. Thank you so much for sharing time with me and our listeners uh, who will listen to this, and and uh, really do appreciate it. And I think that you you are you're doing amazing work, and I'm I'm really grateful to get a chance to know you. And so, thank you. Thank you for hosting me. It's so lovely to be with you. My pleasure.